0: Hello there, Internet, and welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I am your co-host, the Uncanny Dayspring.
1: And I am Adjectiveless Flinkman, and welcome to the very first episode of our brand new X-Men podcast.
0: Let's make some noise! And and guys, this is an X-Men podcast where we're going to be discussing the weekly books... Marvel Legends, you know, any collectibles, figures. Flinkman likes to spend all of his hard-earned cash on, what, what do you call them? Original pieces of art.
1: Uh, you know, just
0: original pages,
1: c- commissions from my favorite artists, of my favorite characters, you know, bougie shit like that.
0: So if it has something X-Men in the title, if it's X-Men related, anywhere from movies, TV shows... We'll even give a pass to WandaVision in the coming weeks. Uh, will we? we will be covering. Uh, you know what? I'm sorry. My head cannon, she's still Magneto's daughter. We'll see. We'll see. I'm certainly interested to see what they do with it. It looks very interesting. This okay. is our introductory episode where we're going to be talking about ourselves and our relationship with X Men our our feels on stuff our favorite characters our favorite crossovers just so you can get to know us and see how uh crazy and neurotic of fans we actually are yeah day spring uh you know i think you probably
1: got a lot on your mind as usual so why don't you uh (laughs) kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself
0: ah god i mean what what to what to say um well, I've been an X-Men fan since I was probably four years old, but I only started reading the comic books, only started reading the comic books in 1995. Um, and it was with that Rogue 95 miniseries. Uh, do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, you're talking about the one where she's like flying out at you with the gold logo? Yeah, it's like a foil logo, and she kind of looks like Superman there, and she's yes. in her. And that was the first time I ever saw Rogue like that and um of course i had been you know i knew about the x-men before i was already starting to dip into the comic books i was collecting the fleer ultra i want to say flare but of course that's that's the other uh set of cards but it was the f-l-e-e-r ultras are those uh, the
1: ones where the heroes were red and the villains were purple yes and then in the back
0: you got like a little bio on them Yes, yes and rogue's name was unrevealed and i uh I was just so mesmerized and I thought she had so much mystique in her and I needed to know more. So, and of course I was collecting the action figures, the toy biz, like the very first wave, uh, with storm in her black costume and that yes. lightning bolt on her chest, which I think you may, that, that was kind of like the gateway drug for you for X-Men, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I had had some exposure to, um, the X-Men a little bit before that because I, uh picked up the first six or seven issues of the dazzler solo series uh at a neighborhood garage sale when i was about five or six years old
0: a garage um, sale no way man
1: i know i know and you know shortly after that i discovered uh the x-men arcade game and i'm talking like the big two tvs wide six player version they had that at the arcade at my local mall here um
0: what's the iconic she, line for that what was that what's the iconic line in that game X-Men, welcome to die. (laughs) That one, that one. That one, that's exactly it.
1: Yeah, so, you know, uh, even though she totally looked totally different, uh, my girl Dazzler was fighting alongside uh, the featured characters in her comic, the X-Men. But yeah, you're totally right. Things uh, really kicked into high gear the first time I saw that Toy Biz Storm action figures on the shelves of Toys R Us. I mean... You know, here is this gorgeous black woman with white hair wearing, you know, this black pointy shouldered leather combo with a light up. I just,
0: what's not to love? I was sold from day one. She was absolutely fabulous. She looked great. She looked majestic and she looked strong. And um, we actually started meeting and talking on the foosh uh, the foosh and for those of you who don't know uh the foosh is an action figure um forum uh, on the internet Yeah, and well, that's
1: been around since about 2004 or so i mean we're
0: really aging ourselves here uh but we started talking um around the i believe it was wave 10 the sentinel series that would have been around 2005 2006 i believe Was it? I see. I think I felt like we started
1: more towards uh, wave eight with, again, Storm in her fabulous black costume. I mean, a different black costume, and we can debate all day whether it should have been black. But I seem to vividly remember having a conversation with you
0: about that figure. Am I making that up? I don't know. Did we talk about what her costume was in canon. Was that the the premise of that conversation? Because we agree that within the books, even though it comes across white or silver, it's meant to be black with like shading. Absolutely. I mean, my preference, my
1: personal preference for it is white, but I fully, fully acknowledge it, it's supposed to be black.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I only see it as white, but yeah, my my preference is um my preference is that as well. But I acknowledge it's black. Um, Yeah, so we started talking about, I guess we started talking about Storm, um, and then we just, our friendship kind of snowballed, and and we were supposed to meet up, I believe. We were.
1: It was summer 2006, and we were supposed to do the most Marvel fanboy thing uh, you could do at the time, which was marvel adventure island at Universal islands Studios. of adventure, adventure. Yeah. i'm sorry i was literally Our adventures for marvel it's the marvel theme park as far as i'm concerned like what else is there even to do there
0: dude and i remember when i walked in uh one time that year when i sold you out they had a whole wall of the sentinel series with like mystique and like angel and cyclops it was it was a great time what, what a time to be alive.
1: But, you know, what a time to be alone for me. Uh, <laughs> you left me completely high and dry. I uh, did not want to hang out with me. So uh, it wasn't until the next year when I traveled to your home turf. I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal our secret locations. I'm okay. Um, my,
0: my home turf is kind of a, a big home turf.
1: Right, right. So, okay, so it was New York City. New York yeah. City, 2007. Uh, and we met, I think... I think we actually met at a Victoria's Secret where my my dear friend, who I'm not going to embarrass and name, but my dear friend was getting sized for a bra. But she will uh, be on this podcast. She will be on this podcast. Maybe we'll let her tell you. Maybe we'll, we'll let her identify herself. Um, but yeah, quickly, we, you and I uh, split off, did our own thing. And of course, as two nerds in NYC did at the time, we wound up in that big, huge... Uh, Toys R Us in Times Square. Oh my God, I miss that. I miss that truth so much. I miss any and all truths. I mean, there's here where I live, you know, a little bit less of a populous area. Um, We still have like the skeletons of Toys R Us everywhere. I,
0: so uh, listeners, we were together a couple of days ago because I had to go down to... um. Man's uh, secret location. We're not going to name it his state. And uh, I spent a couple of days afterwards and he gave me a tour of his town. And I'm not lying to you. You could see the carcass of Toys R Us right there on the highway. It was triggering. I was so sad. I haven't seen, I haven't seen a Toys R Us in like years. I mean, the one by where I grew up in Miami um, is long gone. It's I mean, like, at least I don't they know what it is.
1: took the sign down. I mean, that, that is slightly less triggering than when I was in San Diego for Comic Con last year in 2019. And like, it's still the Toys R Us there was still full blown Toys R Us. Like, it looked like it could be
0: open for business. And of course, oh. it had
1: already been closed for over a year at that point. Really depressing. But so
0: what were um, we hunting at true on this particular trip uh, where you came to visit me in 2007?
1: We were hunting for the original uh, Black Queen Jean Grey action figure, that fabulous repaint of the somewhat less fabulous Marvel
0: Legends Emma Frost. And I- I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know that mold is actually the Spider Woman mold from Toy Biz's last uh Marvel Legends wave, the one with Captain Marvel or Marvel, uh, the MODOK wave. They have a yeah, Spider-Woman absolutely. in there. That is a shrunken version of that model. Just the I've, FYI. Not many I've, people I've ever mentioned shrunken that.
1: Is, shrunken is absolutely accurate. They, they took a shrink ray to her face and like squidged it all up. It was awful, awful. Was Thank awful. the Lord that we've gotten better versions of both of those characters since. But at the time, it was super exciting to be getting either of them at all. Um, and when we checked the pegs where Marvel Legends are usually housed, we, you know, it was a bust. We did not find
0: that Black Queen Jean Grey. And um, I started running around the store frantically because, folks, uh, toy hunting in New York City is, uh, it's a kind of hard thing to do. So I'm running around freaking out thinking, no, she has to be somewhere. She has to be somewhere. I'm being a terrible host. I just leave Flickman by himself and just like abandon him. What else is new, just like the year before <laughs> uh,
1: no, but then I think what was it right by uh, the, the registers, register. there was like a little bin of something i, I don 't know what it was a bin of, but uh, right there on top was one lone black queen Jean gray action figure that I picked up. I noticed it, had it in my hands, and uh, what 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 did I do with that action figure day spring you <sighs> You
0: hoarded it, and you ran back to your right. home state, and right. you were like, "Tough luck." But um, I should no. have done. What you you're very kind because you saw my face. I feel like my face cracked. I mean, this is like, folks. This is the first time we're meeting IRL. We go toy hunting, which is such an intimate, very cutthroat experience. And um, Jean Grey. Spoiler warning: Jean Grey is my favorite X Man. I I want this Marvel Legends. I'm never going to find it. If I don't find it at the True in Times Square on the day it comes out, the second they put it out, I'm never going to find it. And Flickman looks at me and was just like, here, you can have it. And our first photo is you actually handing me Black Queen.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a great photo. It's a great photo. We should definitely post it on, on the Gram sometime for a throwback Thursday. But, you know... As altruistic and sweet <laughs> as it was for me to uh, to let you have that black queen jean, I, I knew for a fact that in two weeks' time I was going to have absolutely no problem finding a figure <laughs> where I live. And sure enough, wait wait to wait get wait, warmed for a good year to eighteen months. Yeah. So
0: so let me get this straight: you're uh, you weren't motivated by altruism. It was about you causing trouble as always turn around and face me Flinkman. just me you and the marvel legends exclusive black queen from toys r us in 2006
1: I, I, you know i would rather not face her can i can i go
0: ahead and just face the more recent hellfire
1: club box set
0: version oh my i i God. don't want to
1: have nightmares
0: and that's and, and and by the way i was just quoting uh, grant morrison's murder at the mansion oh i know i know i know i, I just I just,
1: to- I just don't like to you know Feed your ego that you can quote all of these comic books off the top of your head. Whereas, you know, I unfortunately, folks, I, I can't. My memory is not quite as good as Day Springs, but uh, selective. Folks, it's selective.
0: We were together for like 48 hours straight and I would just bust out these random quotes Uh from the X Men. Like, um, what was the one I said when we were getting into your car? You're like a swamp bug on a hot skillet, but let's see if you're as nimble. And you just like literally like, what the heck are you saying? You did actually get that one because that's so I I did.
1: I I mean, that's so obvious. So obvious. Like only nineties animated series Rogue would ever talk like that. But I uh, um I
0: kept doing that to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all right,
1: it's all right. I love it. I love it. It's just I don't I feel bad because I don't know the next line. Like, we can't just sit there and
0: quote X-Men to each other. And I I, I feel like I let you down. No, you didn't let me down. Do you know what's so funny? So I had a uh, quick little sidebar. I had to work the night before I met up with Flickman. And I was, I was kind of tired. You know, I had been traveling. I mean, in the midst of this pandemic, I was like having panic attacks, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I get into his car and the second we sit down, we just start talking about X-Men until you drop me off at the airport two days later. (laughs) That's it. We, we just talked Stop. about that's it. X-Men. 48 hours. That's all we do. What that's, else is there to do?
1: It. I mean, I don't have a personality to speak of. The X-Men are
0: my personality. I mean, I can vouch that he has no personality. Zero zip zilch. Um, so um, I think I know the answer to this one. But Flinkman, so I said Gene is my favorite X-Men. Um, I, I know this. Wh- who's your favorite X-Men?
1: You know, I don't think you know what you think you know I in a situation.
0: On. Found myself a party, don't know what to do. Now, I have okay. no solo book, I have no solo book.
1: Okay, well, number one, she did have a solo book for over uh, Oh, that's
0: right, years. yes, she did. She did, she thank did. you.
1: But no, yeah. okay, so um, like I mentioned, Dazzler was my introduction to comics um, and it's through Dazzler that I actually learned about the X-Men, um, but For me, I I almost, because I was introduced to Dazzler as a solo character, I've kind of never stopped thinking of her in that way. Um, And she hasn't really had those definitive X-Men stories as the character that I am about to name as my favorite. My God, Um, the suspense is killing me. I know, I know. I, should I just keep going? Should I just speaking in great hyperbole for the next like ten <laughs> minutes and just never actually tell you? No, won't do that. Um, no, my answer is actually the White Queen herself,
0: uh, Emma Frost. I, I kind of know that. Yeah, I mean, no, no, I know you're an Emma fan, but wow, I'm kind of thrown off by that. I mean, we,
1: I'm like staring at you. <laughs> just think, just think of the conversations, the arguments, the passion that I have, I have you know, thrown your way in defense of Emma Frost.
0: And can, honestly, when you, when you think of it in those terms, could it really be anybody else? Hold up, hold up, hold up. Just because I'm a Jean fan does not mean I don't love my Emma. I am both an Emma and a Jean fan, but... Yes, but there at the end of the day, there can only be one, and you will always pick Jean Grey. No. And I will that... always pick Emma Frost. Listen, I think we both agree. First of all, first of all, dear listeners, you have to understand, uh, Flickman and I are on Polar Opposites of uh some ex-opinions and we have gotten into some pretty big fights in the past
1: just a once
0: few. ones where i may have not been speaking to him for a few months news to me
1: <laughs> it was such a peaceful few months you think i would have noticed that.
0: <laughs> but um we always come back together um we had a very intense discussion about madeline Pryor a couple weeks ago <laughs>
1: Yeah, speaking of Cyclops love interests,
0: but um, I think we we both agree um that um Grant Morrison really did a lot for Emma and Jean and sort of propelled them into the characters they are today and really flushed out their histories. And I love Emma. I love Morrison Emma. You know, I'm kind of I go back and forth with Emma before Morrison. I thought her in Generation X was great, but some of the writing there for her just didn't quite land. But Morrison forward, I mean, there are some flaws. Um, my God, do we even have to talk about some of those uncanny, like, oh, my God, fraction? Oh, but, oh, but for the most part, Emma has a very set personality now. Yeah, and, and I mean, great.
1: look, I, I can definitely agree that Morrison pretty much redefined Emma and, you know, did so much with the character to make so many more people love her than before. But I... I always liked that Generation X and, uh, you know, Hellions, Emma Frost, the one who was sort of like the less evil, but not goody two shoes, third option to Xavier and Magneto. Um, I really loved that, you know, and I actually was kind of disappointed at first when Morrison like de-aged her to be um cyclops and jean's age i was like oh man now she's not going to be forced to be reckoned with
0: i you know anymore. it's funny that you say because you're talking about that famous scene at ride at xavier's where the cuckoos are like then why do all your students die you you know you old woman and she goes old i'm only 27 years old you ungrateful wretches um and she crushes her i took that as her being sarcastic about her age
1: but then Cyclops
0: so for me are like in their 30s i'm sorry well, that's what I was gonna say. I was like, so, how old do you think Cyclops and Jean Grey are? I think for me, I think Cyclops, Jean, like the first class of X Men, are in their like thirty, mid, early thirties, like on the okay. cusp, 34.
1: Because at the time, I think that the X editors were were saying, you know, Cyclops and the first gen were were around twenty-seven. So yeah. I took to it. Line I took up it with quite Peter literally.
0: Parker. Well, to line uh, up with you Peter know, Parker, that's who fine. Look, who Who knows? A sliding timeline. We we can right. sit here. All I know is that I was shook when Cannonball whipped out his ID in one of the Utopia arcs. I'm forgetting which one it was. But he's here like, look at my ID. I am 21 years old. And I'm like, how are you 21? I was, like, I was like a baby when you were supposed to be 18. So I guess the ages of the X-Men will always be a little sensitive for, for me at least. I mean,
1: yeah, now that we're older than they're supposed to be, it can get a little weird at times for sure. You're right.
0: So who do you think draws Emma Frost really well?
1: Well, you know, that's really hard for me to to say because, you know, when you've been defined by artists like John Byrne, uh, Chris Pichallo, um, you know, Frank Quietly, you know, I want, my tendency is to want to pick one of those. But, uh, you know, like I said, I love Generation X Emma Frost. Um, so I actually am going to pick... Terry Dodson. Terry Dodson draws my Dodson. favorite Emma Frost. Uh, he's drawn her so consistently over the last 25 or so years. Um, I always love what he does with her. He puts her in different outfits. She's not always wearing the same thing. Um, just subtle things like that. You know, Emma's supposed to be a fashionista. She's not supposed to wear the same outfit all the time. And I think he was one of the first artists that that really started to uh, make slight changes to what she wore and rotate things in and out. So. Uh, yeah when it was time for me to um, get one of those bougie commissions that I was talking about earlier uh, of Emma, uh, Terry Dodson was my choice, and for me um, he's just he 's the iconic one What
0: uh, a waste of money never never <laughs> a waste of money i'm not i 'm not a fan of the Dodsons Look look, look, I understand their importance, and I think their narrative, like the actual narrative of their art is fluid and very, very well done. But to me, it just looks like like inflated Saturday morning cartoons. And... Um, I mean, that's so comic different. book art to me, you know? Like, if that's a style. Me, I don't know.
1: It, I mean, I get it. I get it. But... Oh. Okay, so who draws your
0: favorite Jean Grey, then?
1: And I'm going to disagree with you intentionally because you okay. disagree with me. Well,
0: you know what? I'm going to make it easy for you because the, the artist I'm going to name is very easy to challenge. And... And I'm kind of, I'm apprehensive to even say it. It's, uh, Spit it out, Ethan Van Skyver. No, I know, because he's kind of like you know, if you follow him on Twitter, you're like, oh my god, but man, oh no. man, the the art wait, he did, wait. No. Yeah, be,
1: please clarify which part of New X-Men it was that he... It
0: was the one where Jean is doing the media and she faints and Emma's like, she does this sort of thing for dramatic effect. It was that issue, but it, it wasn't that specific scene. Another artist kind of like took on that, but it was that arc. And it's the one, you'll know the cover, it's her in the green Phoenix uh, tee with the X yes. logo on it. Uh, okay. X logo I was on it getting like the part behind it.
1: He's such a terrible person and I, and I hate him so is, much yeah, as a person really that I was confusing but, him with the only artist in new X-Men, the Morrison era that I actually hated. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw shade at people. But there was some art in there that I didn't like.
0: And I just assumed that because I don't like him that. Yeah. It is what it is. I mean, but I look, guess not. EVS is not, he's, he's, he's a tough pill to swallow, but judging this based on just the art, that's it. I'm going to say him, but, um, other artists, I think, did her really... Here's another contentious one. Oh, my God. Greg Land in Phoenix Song. Phoenix That's not Ensong. so
1: contentious. That's not so contentious. It was before
0: because- he started tracing porn. Allegedly. It was- allegedly.
1: It was when... I think it's right about when he started tracing porn, but it was the first time he had done it. So we were all like, ooh, look
0: at this beautiful, it's almost
1: green. painted artwork. So I'm with you. I'm with you. His Phoenix Emma...
0: Phoenix Emma 1.0 way yeah. better than Phoenix Emma yeah. 2.0. Yeah, and then I like Mark Silvestri. He's probably one of my favorite artists. And I think here comes tomorrow Jean in the White Hot Room where she says, "Live Scott, live perfect." That's I love it. I mean, you
1: can't. No one can hate on Mark Silvestri. No one. No. And if you do, what do you? What do you, Why are you even listening to us? Why are mm-hmm. you even here?
0: Yep. there's a door. There's a door. If you hate him, gesturing towards door. Okay, so, um. Let's see. What can I ask you that's going to spark a little bit of a debate for us? Which character is your least favorite? How about that?
1: Okay. You know what? I think this is, you, you, you say you want to strike up a debate, but I think this is actually somewhere we might agree. Really? I doubt it. Who? No. Okay. Did, who is, who do you think my least favorite character is? Um, let
0: me see. Who do I think your least, f- it's going to be like leech or something.
1: No, no. Okay. No.
0: Who is Jason it? Ray? It's Beast.
1: It's Beast. It's mine too. I oh my God, told right. you, I totally even set you up for that to make you look
0: smart. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> make it look so like happy. you knew me. I do know you. I just, I forget that we both really, I hate Beast. What Who is,
1: likes Beast at this point? What value does he bring? He's a dick. Who's peak, like what is peak hate Beast for you look like? Like what, what are Oh, oh my God, there's so many things. Okay, there's two. There's okay, go two. For it. Go for it. Uh, I'm going to narrow it to one because I think the second one might be yours. Okay, go for it. I think I, I know you well enough. So my most hated, it's got to be when he's a big hypocrite and goes off on Scott for having this Black Ops X-Force team back post Messiah Complex. And then he leaves the team and makes a big to-do of it only to go and start the exact same Kind of covert black ops team with the Avengers and secret Avengers. Agree. He's a hypocrite. He's a douche. Cannot stand him. I'm. I'm really curious. Why? Why do you hate Beast? I, I. bet. I bet we're aligned on this as well.
0: Okay. I have two. One. I started hating Beast because let me let let's give some love to Kelsey Grammer. And um perfect casting. X-Men animated beast. X-Men Animated Beast for me, I loved. I thought he was great. Wrongfully imprisoned, Justice for Beast, season one. But I the the first red flag I ever got of Beast was during the Morrison arc where he came out out. Yes. And later was like, Oh, I'm a mutant, so I might as well be gay as well, even though I'm not. I was like, That was my number two. That was and my then, second choice. But my second one that I think is number one, this is where, man, I was furious at him. So during the Messiah saga, you know, we, we can question our boy Cyclops, his motivations, what he did, but I think it was clear as day that he wanted to ensure the survival of the mutant race, right? Right. He was
1: the leader at the time he was guiding all of mutantdom you know Um, he was making some tough choices he was making tough choices
0: and he all he wanted were for the mutants to come back so at the end when he gets defeated in avengers versus x-men and he's in prison beast just comes in and is like oh scott you ruined everything and you know all these new mutants are emerging are going to have a harder time and cyclops is like wait wait what do you mean new mutants and Beast is like, oh, Cyclops, this isn't really the time. He goes, no, Beast, what do you mean? And he's like, yes, your plan worked. The phoenix repopulated, you know, reignited the X gene and they're mutants, you know, sprouting up everywhere. And Cyclops is so happy, like he exits and does like the X sign, you know? And I'm sorry, the readers, everyone who was paying attention during this time knew Cyclops wanted mutants to come back and for beast to do that to his best friend just casually mention it like come on man yeah no your own cause absolutely and
1: here's here's i'm going to kind of segue into saying like one nice thing about beast one just one singular but yeah no i the one thing that he did in the recent past that i enjoyed was the endangered species lead in stuff to Messiah complex where he was trying to find a scientific way of repowering mutants So, you know, he failed across, I don't know how many backup stories, uh, he failed across, but he failed across all of them. So to be perfectly honest with you, he was probably jealous of Cyclops jealous that Cyclops succeeded where he, you know, by by accident, basically where beast had been trying for years
0: and failing, He's a hater. He's a jealous hater. My mind is blown right now. I love that read. Wow, why don't you talk like that to me on Instagram when we're discussing the books? <laughs> because I want to save it
1: for the podcast.
0: <laughs> um, let's see. I want to ask you another question. Shoot. Okay, who do you think is the most overrated X-Man? Now, you can say Wolverine, but I feel that's low-hanging fruit. I think it that's is. low-hanging it is. I mean, fruit.
1: My most overrated X-Men character, I, I hope our friendship can continue on as it has for all oh, no. these years, no, no. but I'm sorry. It's Jean. It's Jean. Oh. It's Jean. Now, like I said earlier, despite the fact that I troll you incessantly about her, I don't actually dislike her. You know, I think underneath all of the hype and all of the inflated powers, there's definitely an interesting character. It just doesn't it just doesn't get to come out very often. You know, I think we definitely saw signs of it under Morrison, but aside from the original dark Phoenix saga, which iconic in every way, duh. I just don't think that she, I I just don't think that she's lived up to her hype. She
0: has this outside importance. Have you read X-Men Red?
1: I have read X-Men Red and okay. She was perfect. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have, Pre-Morrison Death Gene and post X-Men red Jean. And post X-Men red jean has been great so far. I have actually Because she's done
0: nothing. Been
1: you know what? I've been <laughs> unbothered by that. Unbothered. <laughs> um, you, know, you know, I just I I think she has such an outsized importance to the brand, and I get it. I get it. But she's gotten two movies about her and like 50 action figures in Marvel Legends. Hasbro has a real boner for her. Thank but you, yes. Dwight it it's really when you really stop and think about it it's female characters like storm rogue and even kitty pride who made the x-men the female centric you know universe gene dark phoenix saga uh, given it you know she brought all of the attention to the x-men but as soon as she was gone and that was done it was storm rogue and kitty pride that really brought women to the front of the x-men universe so you know she just she just she's overrated and i'm sorry i you know
0: i love you and you know i have love for Jean, but i just
1: oh. I, that that's you're lucky
0: I mean. this is our first episode because i already i'm cataloging everything in my head oh right i can just now. see you but you know the most overrated x-man for me yeah do tell kitty, is kitty pride kitty pride okay first of all Okay. tell me why tell me why okay. i have
1: i have a response
0: okay first of all i just want to preface by saying i think kitty pride in the 80s especially where she turns around that famous cover where she's like professor xavier is a jerk iconic no hate for kitty pride there but i just feel that let's say recently kitty pride is whatever the plot demands and i Absolutely. think i think peak Kitty Pride. What I want out of Kitty Pride right now is, and again, this is a really contentious name to drop, but I think the way Whedon wrote her during the Gifted arc, where she's kind of like a recent 20-something-year-old grad who's come back helping the X-Men. She's bright. She represents the future. You know, I think that kind of Kitty pride really speaks to me. But then, like, I'm sorry, like what? She has a, you know, let me speak to your manager haircut a couple of years ago. She's a leader of the X-Men. She's engaged to Colossus, uh, leaves him at the altar. Then she's also, she was previously engaged to Peter Quill. I don't even know what happened with that romance. Uh, Peter was, basically, if your name is Peter, <laughs> Kitty Pride's going to come after you. Pete and Wisdom. Pete, Pete Wisdom. wisdom. And, you know, I think there's something happening with Rachel now, which I love. I love her. The idea of her and Rachel and Kitty being pansexual. Really, I love that idea. So
1: that's what I was
0: actually going to say. That was going to be my
1: response to you. Because I know you so well. Peak Kitty pride for me is Excalibur, all the way, puffy blue sleeves and puffy brown hair. Love it, love it, love it. And her, you know only hinted at at the time special friendship with rachel summers and now of course uh we're living in a little bit more of an open-minded era and yeah i definitely caught that look from kitty to rachel i definitely caught it what what was that in
0: what was that in Uh, that was in the last issue of Marauders, right? Where her hair gets really curly again. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Where she finally gets her Alan Davis hair
0: back. Yeah, but you know, and that's also Marauders. I have grievance with Marauders because now Kitty's a pirate for no reason. Like, yeah, but at
1: at least they brought back her terrible fashion sense. Like that is a hallmark of the character.
0: Fine, but like, and I'm still not even like a whole mystery is like built around why she can't get to Krakoa and why she couldn't get resurrected and it was because she couldn't phase through the egg. Like, does that mean she just needs to phase through the gate? I don't know. More it to just, come on that, I'm more sure. More to come. But Kitty Pride for me recently is a character Marvel feels like they're pushing on me and they're, they're going to sell her in a variety of different packages. You know, they're going to market her as a pirate, as the leader of the X-Men, as, you know, like a young 20-something year old. I want her consistent. And again, like I said, I am all for her and Rachel. That makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, and you know, I I definitely agree that they sort of make her anything Wait, the story that they that me? they want her to be. Um, but I I think that's a generation thing. You know what I mean? Like Kitty Fair. was the point of entry character for you know like two generations of X Men fans. Uh, you know, in the eighties, and then again uh, under Joss Whedon. So I I think we're just in an age where all of these writers grew up with Kitty Pride, They want to use her. Right. They want to leave their own stamp on her. And I agree. It's made her an inconsistent, somewhat confusing character.
0: Um, and I think that started with Joss Whedon personally. Wow. I mean, I don't, I have feels about uh, Whedon. I interviewed him for wizard magazine and, and he was not nice to me, but, um, I, I did think that first, those first six issues of Gifted, I liked Kitty Pride. And I think it was because that scene where she walks into the mansion and she says, I don't see the brood. I don't see, you know, all these attacks. All I see are shards of me. And it's, you know, kind of like reminiscent of her her upbringing there. And I, I thought it was very beautiful. And at the time I was in my early twenties, I had just graduated college or I was about to graduate college. And, you know, you're nostalgic for your younger age, but, you yeah. know, we can go on all day about this. Yeah, you know, all I just in
1: closing to that, all I want to say is, is I'm ready for Generation Jubilee to take over the books. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm ready for Jubilee, Jubilee to be that. the new kid. i, I a 1,000. Wow, look at us agreeing so much. The, what are we even doing this podcast for? It's so pleasant. So I know, man. Um, let's see, what other contentious question can we ask? Oh, I, I have one for you.
0: Oh, yeah, go for it. If go
1: you want to know overrated i want to know underrated who oh. is the most underrated x-man
0: well look at this look at this following the trend of us getting along i think the most underrated x-man is dazzler
1: One hundred thousand percent. okay and yes. here's why
0: here's why dazzler she hasn't she hasn't gotten a writer who knows how to write her i know we got jim mccain McCann, McCain, whatever, a couple years ago. And I don't think he did a terrible job. But look, Dazzler started off as a major crossover endeavor between Marvel and, was it Casablanca Records? Casablanca
1: Records, yes. They were a major disco label. They had all the main disco artists at the time. Cher, Donna Summer, Kiss, they had them all. And
0: Dazzler number one, if you look at it, is a a cover that was created from oils. Like, it was an oil painting. And they only did that for very important characters. And Dazzler just has a DNA. She's she's 1,000% one of the most unique X-Men. She is a singer. She has celebrity. She has a convoluted history with Longshot and Mojo World and Shatterstar. And no one gives her dues at all. Never. Never.
1: No, and you know, it's really unfortunate because over the years we've had various iterations of public facing X-Men teams and you would think that Dazzler as one of the most public facing mutants and X-Men in particular would be on those teams and she never is. They never use her in some of the most obvious ways. Um, I think there have been times where she has lived up to her potential, um, not so much in the recent past, but I do have to give it to uh, Greg Pak, his uh, Extreme Greg X-Men. Park. What was that?
0: I'm just Greg Pak. Pak. I interviewed um, him as well, and I called him Greg Pack, and he was here like, it's Pak.
1: Well, Greg Pak, you wrote an you it amazing, right. amazing Dazzler. You know, that Extreme X-Men was basically Exiled, Volume X-Men. 3 but you know having her in a leadership role and not being a perfect leader but you know leading a team of folks through the multiverse and saving worlds and putting sage in her place like yeah i I dug it i dug it but aside from that she honestly has not been written well since she was dumped in the mojo verse at the end of the outback run and had her (laughs) like (laughs) they're like see a dazzler Right, like they couldn't even follow through. Be bothered to follow through on her pregnancy plot. Like God bless Peter David. He cleared up. Like God what, bless. Him. What lingering X Men plot thread did he not clear up? Like, right, if you're gonna right. dig into the archives and you're gonna confirm that Shadow Star is in fact the uh, long lost son of Dazzler and Longshot, and give us an issue about all of the craziness that and mind wonk that m- led us to that, like amazing amazing oh, yeah, amazing i could go on and on about why and how dazzler is the most underrated x-men character of all time but honestly you know there are not enough hours in the day that's just seems like it needs to be a whole special episode to be honest with you it's like yeah you know i could talk about dazzler all day and we'll probably have to film a whole special episode about it but all day uh, all day long all day and well into the night but you know, this is about getting to know us, not getting to know Dazzler. Um, <laughs> so a, a hallmark of the X-Books, of course, is the crossover. Um, and when I say crossover, I'm referring specifically to things like uh, the Mutant Massacre, which was the very first crossover, you know, the crossovers that great. go through multiple titles and you have to read every single one and you have no idea what the heck is happening. Um, which one of those is your favorite? I'm, I'm, I'm curious.
0: I don't know if we've ever discussed this. Um, I don't think so. I think, okay, okay. I, I have I have a good answer and I have a bad answer. Uh, the good answer for me is Age of Apocalypse. And I thought that was just so well done. I thought the direction was really great. I thought it was a really great look at the characters. Um, in this like alternate universe, and I just I love X Men Omega. I love that ending with Destiny taking Iliana into the crystal. I I love Nate coming to our world, but um, yeah, I mean Age of Apocalypse no, is fantastic. I, no, it's it's a rare example of Dazzler being used well. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Speaking of Dazzler, she was used well, but um, that's not why I'm like mm, my favorite crossover is onslaught and i read that maybe at the beginning of the pandemic or maybe a couple of months before the pandemic i just wanted to reread it because i got the marvel unlimited app and Flickman. man it's not good but i loved it i i loved it there, there's for me it's just like 1996 x-men joe Mad, scott labdell it's Oh my God, like this huge, messy crossover. And I, that that opening scene with Gene, you know, and the distress call and Bishop wondering who the X-Trader was. And all this time we thought it was Gambit, but it was actually Xavier and the Avengers having to come in and Nate mistaking Gene for Madeline in that big epic fight in Central Park. And no one ever has to read Onslaught now. You oh. have done everyone such. A favor. Franklin Richards is there, and that relationship is explored again in The Twelve, you know, with the, the rapport, the big brother, little brother rapport they have. I, it's Onslaught. Don't judge me. I'm gonna, I mean, I'm not in. gonna judge you,
1: but I am gonna call Shade a little bit because that not good. is a Marvel Universe crossover. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it a Marvel Universe? No, it's I mean, of X-Men course, X-Men it crossover. came out of X Men, but it's like, to me, it's kind of like Avengers versus X Men. A little okay, bit. It's like it's
0: an X-Men story that the Avengers oh, no, hijacked. No, no, no. What are you doing? No, no. It's it's an X-Men crossover. Onslaught is recognized as an X-Men crossover. Someone get CBR on the line here. Can we dial in CBR? Listen, listen,
1: listen. Do you can, do you consider Avengers versus X-Men an X-Men crossover? I,
0: I would not, but I, I acknowledge it is. So, I, I but what's the difference is. here? What's the difference? Okay, because... Well, I didn't Avengers like Avengers versus X-Men. I, I legitimately don't like Avengers versus X-Men, so I would no, hope I hate it's it. Not, but it is an X-Men crossover.
1: I mean, uh, not in my head canon,
0: not in my Fine. Head canon. Well, okay. Well, what is the best X-Men crossover for you? And if there is an Avenger that appears in there, I'm going to call you out on that. Not. I honest to god, I think
1: not one single Avenger appears okay, is in it? my answer, and mean? that is
0: Messiah Complex. Okay, just Messiah Complex, not the Messiah Saga. Yeah, no, not the Messiah Saga, just Messiah Complex. I do like Messiah Complex quite a bit.
1: I adore Messiah Complex. Complex For those who don't know what Messiah Complex is, Messiah Complex is uh, a crossover that um, stems from Mike Carey, who, in my eyes, is a god among X-Writers. He's one of the only X-Writers worth mentioning from the last 20 years we could have a whole episode about that as well um but no it stemmed out of his work um post house of m wanda has depowered all of the mutants and the x-men have been trying for years at this point maybe months in marvel time who knows <laughs> days uh, hours <laughs> messiah complex is you know picks up after house of m where wanda has depowered all of the mutants and the x-men have you know struggled for years to find a way to repower them when along comes a mutant Messiah child born in Alaska, somewhere that has lots of significance to the X-Men. And it's the story of various groups trying to get their hands on this baby. It involves um, Marauders. It involves the Reavers, Lady Deathstrike. Uh, It involves Predator X. Um, And I loved that particular era I loved, the, you know, say what you will about Whedon, but the Astonishing Team was a great team.
0: It was a great team. It worked really
1: well. It did. It did. They had great And chemistry. that was,
0: to circle back uh, when we were talking about endangered species, uh, that was a lead up to the yes. complex. Complex. Yes. Beast had failed spectacularly. And he comes back to tell Xavier, you know, his results. And uh, Xavier is in Cerebro, and that's when the mutant messiah is born, and we see that huge spike. So it was a great example of when all the X-books were in sync. They were telling the uniform story. They had direction, and the stakes were high. And funny enough, when I was at Wizard, I read the script. We had to interview creators, you know, ahead of time when these things were being, you know drafted so we can write stories about them because magazine time you you have to send you know magazines to to press months before they actually run and you know do you know where i'm going with this i know where you're going with this
1: all roads lead to gene gray all roads lead to gene gray
0: so um the original script said cyclops holds the baby and he understands who the baby really is and why Cable has to go. So the original intent for the baby in Messiah Complex was supposed to be Gene reborn, and her being raised by Cable in the future was supposed to be a parallel to how Slim and Red raised him back in the Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. Yeah. So um, I loved it when it. Po- I was long gone from Wizard when it actually ran, and I loved it. And and you know the fact that the baby had red hair. Uh, and green eyes and was supposed to either save the mutants or destroy them. I was all for it. I loved Messiah Complex.
1: So, you know, of course, Messiah Complex was a perfect event, um, in my opinion. I I really loved everything and everyone uh, involved with that. The two, they sort of began, there's a trilogy, a Messiah trilogy, um, and definitely, you know, the first chapter of Messiah Complex is the best. Messiah War is okay. And then Second Coming, which sort of wraps it all up.
0: Um, it's all right. You know, well, it's I okay. think Second Coming was supposed to. I'm, I actually did not wrap it up. I mean, it set the stage for another chapter, which Well, was yes. Yeah, Avengers. it wrapped. It <laughs> was meant to wrap it up as much as anything ever
1: is wrapped up in comics. You know, I don't mean to suggest that it was, you know, a hard ending. God knows what that would ever look like for the X-Men. God, no. Um, don't even say that. Don't, don't, don't. Pray to White I, Phoenix. Pray to White Phoenix. That doesn't happen. Please, please, this is The <laughs> only time I'll ever ask you for anything, I promise. No, um, but they were. You know, they declined in quality to the point where you know the overall Messiah story kind of fell off to me. I didn't yeah. really enjoy how it ended up. But nothing will in comics. I don't think for me will ever compare to the excitement of reading Messiah Complex week to week over however many months it was. Uh, it was just a really exciting time to be an X fan. And uh, yeah, it really holds up to me as definitely the best X-Men crossover.
0: So um, what's the worst X-Men crossover for you? The
1: worst? Oh gosh, there's, there's so, so many, many
0: choices. But
1: uh, as much shade as we threw at Avengers versus X-Men, Humans versus X-Men was oh, far, been- far worse.
0: Oh. That was like awful. I don't even
1: want to talk about it. Like, I don't even want to give Inhumans versus X-Men airtime. Do not buy that. It just was garbage. And me, I'm a very fluffy comic book fan. Like, mm. you have to almost be trying for me not to like your comic. Like, I, I don't read too much into things. Like, I just want to be entertained. I'm capable of turning off my brain. But Inhumans versus X-Men was asking me to throw my brain in the garbage and it, no, nope. Next. Nope.
0: nope next. Um, I agree with you. I think, um, in humans versus X-Men IVX was terrible. It was transparent. What Marvel was doing because that was a conversation already happening amongst fans. Uh, because everything that was going on with MCU and the rights to the X-Men and the inhumans had just launched their own, uh, television series was it yeah it was a television series it came out Uh, it was a limited series a limited series return see um i'm trying to think what my least favorite x crossover was it was probably apocalypse wars i thought that was awful um extermination no wait not extermination i liked extermination it was okay it was i you know what i thought was it sent the oh five back but definitely or apocalypse wars So... Rem- I mean, refresh
1: my memory about Apocalypse Wars because that's oh. one that, of
0: course, I've read. I've read basically everything. I, at this I don't. Point. I, I've blocked most of it out, but it dealt with like the extraordinary X Men team. Remember, Jean was wearing that like green. Oh, oh you're yes. Yeah. T- yeah, so you're talking about from the same era. Yeah. That, oh, okay. you're absolutely right. Even, yeah, that was a low point. It was for- honestly, it was the lowest point. I of- just, I still don't understand. Like they went to the future, and I, I don't get it. It's and I read it weekly. I mean I, I bought the books, but of course it was just a low point. And then there was another one that dealt with oh gosh, what was it called? I, I want to say I keep wanting to say extermination, but it was probably exterminated. External. It was the one with Was Regina. that the
1: one that crossed over the Age of Apocalypse book at the time? Yeah, it was the where...
0: Age of Apocalypse book. Um uh Extreme X-Men with Dazzler. Yes. And it it, it kind of said goodbye to the age of apocalypse. And and just, I
1: believe Extreme X-Men was Extreme canceled. Extreme X-Men as well.
0: It just, it was a really, that was just a dark period. I want to say like 2013 to like 2017, it was a dark period for X-Men. Yeah. I mean, there was a time there where
1: I considered dropping the X-Books because they had just gotten <gasps> so far away. Yeah. I never would. I never could. But Until Hickman. Hickman came back and saved us. Hickman did come back and save us. Uh, you know... I know we have a lot, a lot of thoughts about that, as do most of our listeners.
0: Um, That will be next episode. That will be the next episode. Um, But I guess we can talk about bad crossovers for a very long time. But um, I think that's a good segue into what's coming up in this podcast, because we have a crossover, Ten of Swords, that we are absolutely wild about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but we can't talk about Ten of Swords without talking about the crossover that uh, launched this whole great new uh, X era. House of X, powers of X. Sorry, House of X, powers of Ten. That's you would okay. Say.
0: I I cut you off. I'm sorry. I threw you off.
1: <laughs> it's okay. It's
0: okay. I'm horrible. And Dawn of X as well.
1: Right. Right, so, you know, come back next week as we will give you our thoughts on the Hickman relaunch and take a look at chapters three, four, and five of the current X of Swords crossover.
0: And folks, that wraps up our first episode. Um, I wanted to name this first episode Days of Future Podcast. Perfect, perfect. What else, what else makes sense? Or uh, Night of the Podcast Part 1. That would imply a part two. <laughs> but folks... My name is the Uncanny Dayspring. And I am the Adjectiveless Flinkman. You can email us any questions at generationsofx@gmail.com, at gmail.com.
1: Or follow along on Instagram at generationsofx.
0: And this is us signing off from our very first episode. See y'all next week. <laughs>